Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing well. Long time no talk. Yeah. So are other people in the room able to hear us right now? They are. They're populating in, uh, and eventually they will start asking questions, and I will unmute uh, the people who are asking questions. Remember to unmute themselves. Um, but I think like, uh, you know, call-in talk show, like radio talk show. Interesting. Okay. So um, do, do people have to say first time, long time before they ask a question? They do. And you should, we should have like a name. If we're going to do like uh, talk radio, like it should be like bags. And then I need an animal name, like bags and the otter, <laughs> bags and the otter on athletic radio. Uh, yeah. Coming to you live. Yeah, from so, uh, this, <laughs> coming to you live. It's bags and the otter. You know, like, so um, <laughs> we got to work on this. We got to work on this. All right, so let me see if there is indeed a queue, and I will bring someone on, and they will ask questions. And I'm uh, pretty excited about this. Let's go. Let's go. Do, right, you, uh, do we have to tweet out a link? For our... um, I did. Uh, if you wanted to retweet it, I think that would be the – oh, no, I didn't. No, I I did. think you said you were going to drop the link, and then you didn't. You're such a tease. I dropped it. I literally dropped the link. No, now it's out there. So that would be the path of least resistance. You can do that. Let me see who is okay. on and we will go, we'll go to the phones with bags and otter. <laughs> uh, Lee Hammer's no. listening to this and he's like, wow, I've struck gold, struck gold. With this <laughs> All right. Ba bags and the otter, Brandon, you're on the stage. You got a question about the giants. Hey, Bags in the Otter. Long, first time, long time. <laughs> <laughs> Way to play your role. Well done. Well done. Uh, I, I mostly just wanted to ask, uh, I think, the question that's on all of our minds. Um, I've, we've, been, we've been reading your articles. Bags, you had a great article today. Just right off the top, let's get a Bonds take from you guys and just go over how much you meant to the city, how much you meant to the team, and how pissed we all are. That I'll uh, I'll hang up and uh, and listen on the other side. Uh, All right. I'll, so he so basically what you're saying is you're gonna take you're gonna listen off air. <laughs> yeah, he's gonna yeah. take his question off the air. Yeah, take the question off the air. Uh, you want to start? Uh, sure. You know, uh, it is it's a weird feeling for me because I, I felt like I was so wrapped up for years in this idea of, uh, you know, Bonds got it. He has to get in. There can't be a story of ba uh, baseball without Bonds, and therefore he should be in a museum that uh, honors the story of the game. And then you can add the context and on his plaque if you need to, but he's a part of the story. And yesterday, I just, I found that I just stopped caring, I don't know, a couple years ago. Like it just, it just, it felt like such a foregone conclusion and I don't need that plaque. Like, I personally don't. I was there. I watched it. I saw him get on base. I, I was at the game where he was walked uh, intentionally with the bases loaded. I was at the game where he broke Hank Aaron's record. Like, I don't need the plaque to confirm what I saw was some of the greatest uh, endorphin-generating baseball that anyone will ever see. So, I don't know. I just felt like I made my peace with it years ago. Yeah, you know, I think the, the way you respond to it says a lot about you. I mean, and I'm speaking just in general about 
how how one would respond to it. And I think that you made a great point in your piece about Tim Lincecum, which was, you know, you could watch a movie that was just the best movie that you've ever seen. And it moved you, it inspired you. You want to watch it again and again. You want to tell your friends about it. And it's not like you, you know, are ready to go out with, you know, torches and and and, uh, and pitchforks when it doesn't win the Academy Award for best movie, right? I mean, it would be great. Right. It'd almost be like validation, like, yeah, people agree with me about this. That that's great. I get a little validation from from that that they had that shared experience too. But like, you know, the Shawshank Redemption didn't win Best Picture. It doesn't mean it's not millions and millions and millions of people's favorite movie. Um, so you know, it's it's sort of that way with Tim Lincecum. It's there's a lot of people who had that kind of career that just absolutely resonated with people far deeper than most people who have a plaque in that room. You know, you could look at a, a Dwight Gooden, you know, so many different people who you know, didn't have the longevity uh, to be Hall of Famers, uh, but still it doesn't detract from what they meant to people or who they were. And so in a sense, you know, even talking to Barry and you wonder how much of it is, is bluster, how much of it is, is him, you know, putting up a front, but, you know, he says, I don't need the validation. I know what I did out there. Now, I'm sure he would like that validation. And he even said, I remember at William McCovey's 80th birthday party, I was there. And he said, I just hope that I can get there while while Willie Mays and Willie Mack are there to see it. And obviously, Willie Mack's no longer with us. And Willie Mays is 90 now. Um, but it means a lot to him. It does. Uh, and that validation, I think, is important. And, and But, you know, it's ultimately, if, if he doesn't make it in, it doesn't doesn't change what your experience was watching Barry Bonds. If it meant a lot to you, then it meant a lot to you. Yeah, I think that's a good way to look at it. And I, I don't want to speak for, for Bonds, of course. I think he should care. I think he should care quite a bit. I think the people who are around him who might root for him as a person, they should care. Like if they have a personal relationship with Bonds, absolutely. But I'm going to think about like – like I didn't want to pick on people in my Lincecum column and say like, you know, imagine like someone who watched the Harold Baines experience in, in Chicago or, you know, another Hall of Famer who maybe is is not like, you know, not as beloved or is beloved in a very different way or or longevity is more what their career is about and just, you know, being reliable on there year after year. Like I wouldn't trade Lincecum's experience for a Harold Baines type of experience as a fan even though it went on for longer, it was uh, reliable. It was something you can count on. It was a ton of fun. Like, I, again, I didn't want to, uh, you know, pretend like I didn't want to diminish it. So that's why I didn't include that point in my Lenskum article. But like, there is something special about, I saw Lincecum. And when it gets to someone like Bonds, who has the longevity, who has the counting stats, who has all of that, like it's a double whammy. Like I saw it. I know he belongs in my heart of hearts. I don't need the actual validation to make me feel like anything more. It, it would be cool to see him give a speech, but that's about it. Yeah, you know, what's really interesting to me is just seeing how, and we're in a bit of an echo chamber. I mean, a lot of our Twitter followers, et cetera, people we hear from on social media and our, in our, you know, in real life, our, our Giants fans are connected to the Bay Area. So, you know, we're, we're in a bit of an echo chamber, but it is pretty amazing how, uh, kind of the, the pro bonds group has gone from, yeah, he's kind of our guy. So I got to support him. I, he should be in the hall of fame. That was 10 years ago. Now it's burned down the hall of fame. If he's not in the whole place is a <laughs> joke. Right. And there are people who are just as strident on the other side who believe he's a cheater and he doesn't belong. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, but it's, it's sort of interesting for me to see how like the voice has been raised uh, of the pro bonds 
group. And, and I think that part of it is the fact that he's gotten somewhat close. You know, he started getting a third of the vote. And in his last ballot, he got two thirds of the vote. That's a big move. And we know that the electorate changed, um, you know, several years ago. Uh, they changed the rules where you didn't have a lifetime vote if you covered the game for 10 years. Instead, you had to have covered the game within 10 years. So if you're more than 10 years retired uh, and you're not covering baseball anymore, then, then you're not voting anymore. So that that flushed out a lot of the older uh, voters of the electorate. And now new voters you know, who get their 10 years of service, uh, we know that they're much more likely to vote for uh, a bonds. I think the last four years, there have been 59 new voters and 51 have voted for bonds. That's 86 percent. So, you know, I knew from the very start, even after he passed 50 percent, there was no way in 10 voting cycles he was going to get in. But I changed my outlook on just what was possible if he had been allowed to stay on the ballot for the standard 15 years. I think by year 15, he would get to 75 percent or he would have. And now we'll never know because the hall sort of unilaterally changed the rules and they sort of starved him of oxygen and, and you're out after 10 instead of 15 now. So uh, and, and that was not arbitrary. They, they knew what they were doing. Um, so, you know, that that's it. We, we have 10 years gone by. Barry Bonds will no longer be considered by the BBWAA. And now it's going to get uh, maybe even more messy and less transparent. Yeah, and that is a point, you know, you've mentioned it, you've mentioned it on Twitter, um, but it, it was arbitrary for uh, the the BB or the Hall of Fame to say, listen, it's going to be 10 years, not 15, uh, you know, and it was uh, I, very much in response to players like Bonds and Clemens. They just didn't want uh, them to be a story every year. They wanted that story to end. And I, I think that that's crap like i think that that stinks as you know it, it takes so much out of the hands of the voters it's just the way that things you know were done differently back in the day and now they're not done that way just because of bonds and clemens i don't know i, I maybe you can speak because you've been in the bbwa uh longer than i have uh maybe you could just speak to, to how that might rankle you or not rankle you well, I mean, we weren't really um, we've been forever trying to get the hall to consider a binary ballot where you basically if there's 36 names on your ballot, 36 boxes to check, you have 36 decisions to make and you have 36 decisions to make anyway, because if you turn in a ballot, you're going to alter the percentage of every name on that ballot. There could be 35, 40, however many, uh, because you're either checking uh, or their name or not checking their name. So you're going to affect their percentage. And, and if you can only vote for 10, then you're limited in, in just, uh, you know, how how you can vote. I mean, if, if you think 13 uh, people pass your bar to be a Hall of Famer, um, you're not only not going to be able to vote for three by omitting them, you're going to drive their percentage down. And that that is just fundamentally unfair. Uh, so, you know, we've tried forever to get them to get rid of that rule of 10. And they've just not really wanted to, to give us the time of day on that. And then on top of that, they sort of unilaterally, without any of our input, imposed uh, those those rules to you know cut the eligibility window from 15 to 10. And, you know, you could say, well, OK, they knew that they were going to starve oxygen from the bonds and clemens of the world. But they also were going to make the electorate more favorable to them by calling the ranks of, of a lot of the you know, the, the older voters uh, who, who probably would lean in in, uh, in a direction that would not be favorable to those kinds of candidates. So, you know, that that's a valid point that that's worth considering. 
Um, but you know, I, I just, I just wish there'd been a little more dialogue and a little more partnership because it's, it's something that has been entrusted to the writers since the 1930s. Um, I think we all try to do the best individual job we can. It's an election. You're going to have people who have an off the wall vote. You're going to, if you're looking for trees instead of the forest, you're going to find some that have a whole lot of beetles in them, you know, uh, <laughs> but, but overall, I think, I think that the, the BBWA has done a pretty good job when it comes to electing uh, hall of famers. And I think that individually, for the most part, uh, for the in, for the grand uh, most part, I think that people take take it seriously and honestly, uh, and maybe arrive at different conclusions and conclusions that you might think are completely indefensible. But I think they're arrived at honestly. So you know, I, I just wish there was a little more of a partnership, uh, and they would listen to us a little bit more when we ask for more direction on hey give us some more instructions on how to deal with these steroid candidates. Oh, none. We're getting no instructions. Okay. All right. Well then I guess we'll just have to figure it out for ourselves. So that's the part that disappoints me a little bit. But, you know, as I wrote uh, in the story I filed yesterday, um, if if you want to look at a a process that's just riddled with all kinds of problems, uh, (laughs) the writer's portion of the ballot uh, is nothing compared to a lot of the weirdness that goes on in in how these committees are are, are sort of gamed and how much cronyism there is and and uh, and and that's that's uh, that's a whole other kettle of fish I suppose. Yeah, no, I keep meaning to, to take a picture of a passage from Howard Bryant's uh, Juicing the Game, in which he just it, it says, "How does he know that uh, Tony Larusa was aware of Jose Canseco's steroids?" Well, Canseco told him. I mean, that was a reported uh, passage in Bryant's book, which is a great book. And I just wanted to tweet that out with a picture of Tony Larusa in his Hall of Fame plaque, and he's he's on the the committee now that that's letting guys like Harold Baines in, and uh, you know, it's just it's such a weird dynamic. Um, I hopefully hopefully that answered uh, Franco's question about the BBWAA um, being the arbiter of, of who gets to let Hall of Famers in. I think it's it's a flawed system, but it's probably the only system that makes sense. So you don't want to open it to like a fan vote or or when you get like a specialized committee of people who aren't writers. Well, you already have that. That's the that's the committee that's letting uh, Lee Smith and, and stuff like that in. Um so next year's ballot, I think for the first time in years and years and years, I'm not seeing 10 Hall of Famers. Like if I had a ballot, I'm not going to have a ballot uh, for at least eight years. So um, but if I were to have one, it would not have the full 10. Let's see. I've got Roland, Scott Roland, Todd Helton, Billy Wagner, Andrew Jones, Gary Sheffield, Alex Rodriguez, Jeff Kent, Manny Ramirez. And then it starts to get. Dice here with uh, Bobby Abreu. I think Carlos Beltran is in. Um, but yeah, I don't think I would get 10. So in a way, their decision to limit Bonds and Clemens to X number of years, to 10 number of years, opened up some spots. Um, but I think next year's conversations can be pretty boring other than A-Rod. Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of talk that Scott Rowland's got enough thrust behind him now and, and voters like to elect somebody uh, that he will, might be the guy who gets in next year. Be interesting to see what happens with Carlos Beltran. I, I think he's someone who uh, probably a lot of voters would feel is a reflexive Hall of Famer, but then he's got you know his uh, attachment to the cheating scandal now with with the Astros. Um, I think the next guy we can really feel good about voting for, and I think is going to sail in, uh, you know, with 90, 95% plus is Adrian Beltre. I'm looking forward to that. Um, and then that's still a couple of years off. Um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I, I, I'll tell you what my ballot was, uh, and I didn't, 
I didn't uh, send it out uh, before the announcement because I, I don't I, I, I do want to try to maintain some integrity to the actual announcement and which is not to detract from any of the work that, uh, you know, um, Ryan Thibodeau and everybody who who collects the votes uh, uh, do. It's public knowledge if you put it out there. And so they're going to collect it. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do hold off. Uh, until after the announcement. So I, I voted for Bonds and Clemens every year. I voted for them this past year as well. The only other guy who was a holdover for me was Omar Vizquel, who obviously dropped off the face of the earth in terms of his support. Uh, we know that uh, you know, there's a lot of domestic violence. There's the lawsuit of harassing a, a bad boy. I mean, a lot of really disturbing stuff out there. I, I just decided that I was uncomfortable voting for him, but I was also uncomfortable sort of um, conducting my own jurisprudence before it's actually done. You know, Barry Bonds was accused of domestic violence. Roger Clemens had a documented uh, inappropriate relationship with an underage uh, uh, girl. So, you know, it's I I, I have not withheld my votes uh, for them. So it was really there was no way for me to vote on Omar that I would feel good about. But I decided, you know, it. I, the action on me would be to change my vote, and I don't think I'm ready to change it yet. So I did vote for him with a lot of reservations. Uh, and then uh, I voted for David Ortiz uh, because I felt his career resonated. I have no problem with the DH. I voted for Edgar Martinez every single year he was on the ballot. Uh, you know, the guy is an icon and, and, and pretty easy choice. And voting for David Ortiz made me sort of rethink two other guys who I had not voted for in the past. One was Gary Sheffield and the other was Sammy Sosa. And I just decided... I'm not going to play the what would their career have looked like game anymore. And I did. I played that game with Mark McGuire, other people who come came up on the ballot. You know, I think, well, if Mark McGuire wasn't on steroids, he might have been Dave Kingman. You know what? I, I'm just not going to do that anymore. And if I could vote for McGuire all over again, I think I would. And uh, And so I voted for Sosa and I voted for Sheffield. Too little too late in Sammy's case, obviously. Uh, but here's one thing that's going to be really interesting uh, and that is, you know, when they have to come up with the, the ballot of 10 people uh, for the Today's Game era to consider in December. Uh, and it's uh, veteran BBWAA members who, who, who come up with that ballot. And it's not just players. It's Lou Pinello will be on that ballot. Bruce Bochy will be on that ballot. Fred McGriff for sure will be on that ballot. Uh, and, and it'll be a, a huge outcry if Bonds is not, if, if Clemens is not. But if you put Sammy Sosa on that ballot, don't you have to resuscitate? Big Mac and, and look at McGuire again, look at his candidacy. I mean, those guys are kind of arm in arm, aren't they? So there's going to be a lot of interesting stuff that's going to go into uh, who appears on this ballot and then who's going to be on the committee that'll decide it. Yeah, I, I agree. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, if you want to talk, you're listening to Bags and the Otter on uh, the Athletics <laughs> Live Room. Uh, but if you want to ask a question, hit request to speak, and we can put you on and take your question. Um, I will point out that there is one player who uh, is in his 10th year of eligibility next year. Do you know which player that is? Uh, does he really like to ride dirt bikes and wash his truck? He loves a squeaky clean truck. That would be Jeff Kent, who is, 
I don't know. Like it's, it's, uh, he was on 32% of the ballots. I thought he would be higher, but I'm not sure what percentage of his support is, uh, or lack of support is due to guys like Bonds and Clemens being on the ballot. And I know when I filled out the 10 players I would have voted for for this ballot, Kent wasn't on there. There just wasn't room. If there were 15 slots or 20 slots or infinite slots, I would have voted for Kent. But is Kent someone you would consider is he someone you have considered and have passed on in the past what what are your thoughts about kent yeah i've considered him every year and you know i i I used all 10 of my slots um only once and it it was the second year that larry walker was eligible and i remember that because i voted for larry walker his first year and then the next year i came up and i had 11 candidates uh and i wanted to vote for 11 how am i gonna wedge all these guys on and so i came up with the seven uh, six or seven that I felt uh, were were just, you know, head and shoulders above the others. And I thought, OK, how am I going to, um, you know, how am I going to come up with a way that I can fix the, fit these next like six guys into three or four slots? And I realized, you know what, I, I think maybe I've, I've made my bar. Maybe if I've delineated <laughs> here clearly, maybe that's that's my bar. And so I think I've been a little bit smaller haul ever since. I didn't vote for Mike Mussina. I didn't vote for Trevor Hoffman. Uh, I'm certainly glad to see those guys go in. Uh, I, I have there's no part of me that was ho- at hopes uh, somebody will not make the Hall of Fame. Um, I'm happy for people I didn't vote for, like Lee Smith and, and Alan Trammell, that they've gotten in on veterans committees. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've been a little smaller hall. So Jeff Kent, I've never voted for. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, I haven't haven't voted for uh, uh, obviously Roland and uh, and Todd Helton. Um, Andrew Jones. I know a lot of people will have a problem with the fact that I'm a Vizquel voter, but not an Andrew Jones voter. Uh, and I get that. I understand that. Um, I just don't think the career lasted as long as it needed to. The, the greatness was sustained as long as it needed to to be. And I do think that there is, I mean, longevity is a little boring, but it matters. If you're good enough to, to have someone put you in the lineup for 24 years at, at shortstop, that I think that really matters. To, to play more games at that position than anyone in big league history I think matters. So, you know, it's it's really hard to come up with who's in, who's out. But but my bar has gotten a little bit higher over the years. And uh, I, I don't necessarily see a problem with that. Yeah, I'm more of a big haul guy, but I do like the point that you made that, look, if someone wants to put uh, player X in there, I have no problem with that. That was like the epiphany I had when Jack Morris, back in the early days of Twitter, Jack Morris was the lightning rod amongst uh, stat heads and baseball nerds. It's how can you put Jack Morris in the hall? He was, you know, a function of narrative. He was a function, you know, he was a uh, opening day starts isn't a metric that we should care about. And there was uh, like a a lot of angst about the idea that he could get in the hall. Uh, a lot of anytime someone would write a pro Jack Morris column, it would be fodder for the the quote tweets and the the snarky comments. And at one point, I realized, look, if you have three fourths of the baseball writers saying like this guy had vibes, like this guy was a part of the story when I was covering it, you couldn't talk about baseball without Morris or Jim Rice or someone like that. 
that's okay if I didn't see it. Like, I won't begrudge them if they vote Jack Morris in. Now, Morris didn't get in with a with a writer vote. He got in uh, with one of those committees um, that keeps changing the name. So I'm not going to say it and make a mistake. But, um, you know, I don't have a problem with Jack Morris getting in if the writers uh, vote him in. I don't have a problem with any of these guys doing that. And uh, I don't have a problem with you voting for uh, this gal. I actually wrote a column years ago about um, before the, the allegations that's about, look, if you saw him, maybe you get it. And if uh, 75% of the baseball writers also get it, there's something there. There's something there worth paying attention to. Um, yeah. I just don't, you know, I just don't know if there are that many of those types of players left. I guess Andrew Jones might be one, like you said. Um, Manny Ramirez is obviously he's got the stats, but he's got a different situation where he tested positive when steroids was much more of a known no-no. So uh, I'm not sure if there are a lot of vibes left out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just think there's not enough grace in this world. So, you know, let's, let's try to be gracious when we can. And I get it. If, if I vote for Jack Morris and he takes my 10th slot, and I don't vote for someone that you think is just an obvious uh, Hall of Famer. Like, let's say I left off Tim Raines off my ballot and I went 10 deep and I voted for Jack Morse. I get the criticism there. Otherwise, you know, the vitriol about voting for a Vizquel or a Jack Morris, I just don't get it. You know, let, let's let's raise up the candidates that you think uh, deserve more consideration that may be undervalued. But to use uh, the metrics as basically uh, a machete and try to cut down other people. I just don't get it. But let's, let's, I mean, like I said, there's not enough grace in the world, so let's try to be gracious. But hey, we have, a, we have another request from Greg. Shall we listen to Greg? We shall. Let's let me put him on. Uh, Greg, you are on the Bags and Brisby live room. How are you doing today? I think you might be on mute. I, I think that's going to happen to everyone. You there? Hey, Greg, how you doing? Real good. How are you? Pleasure, I'm doing Pleasure to talk to you. Pleasure to speak to both of you. I apologize if uh, you already addressed this, but just curious if either one of you were surprised at all that uh, Timmy didn't get the 5%. I know it was a bolt of lightning for him, but he was just so damn good for, you know, a solid four years, really. Um, were you surprised he didn't get to 5 uh, I I wasn't, um, you know, just okay. because I, I don't think that the, the career totals were where they needed to be. And because, you know, if sure. you want to look at people like Dwight Gooden's a great example. Fernando Valenzuela is a great example. Talk about someone who just left a legacy and changed uh, an entire fan base. I mean, Fernando to me is somebody right. who, who has a, a, a total Hall of Fame case. But, you know, I think we have kind of standards set for, for you know, in terms of peak and then in terms of longevity. And, sure. you know, there's a lot of people who fall into that category that honestly should have their own room and their own wing of the Hall of Fame. Um, and, and and to be honest, if you go to Cooperstown, you know, I always hear this all the time. Well, you can't have a Museum of Baseball without Barry Bonds or without uh, Pete Rose. I felt that way, too, until I actually went to Cooperstown. And Pete Rose is all over that place. He's all <laughs> over the museum. It's not like really? accomplishments are being hidden. I mean, the, okay. the, the plaque room is, to be honest, the most boring room in the entire place. Uh, so, you know, Tim Lincecum will definitely be represented in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Pete Rose is in the Hall of Fame uh, represented. Barry Bonds is represented in the Hall of Fame. They just don't have a plaque in the room. So, you know, I don't think that okay. invalidates anything they've accomplished. But, yeah, he, you know, he came close to getting 5%. I think he probably needed about maybe a dozen more votes. 
But another guy, Joe Nathan, you know, is probably one of the top ten closers of all time. You know, he missed by I think two votes of being able to stay on the wow. list. Wow. So you know, that's just uh, that's just they got to draw the line somewhere. Right. Okay. Appreciate it. Yeah. Awesome. Thank Thanks, you. Greg. You know, one thing that I think about with Lincecum and, uh, you know, in, in bolts of lightning, like you're talking about with Dwight Gooden and you're talking about Fernando Valenzuela and Mark Fidrich, uh, Jose Fernandez, um, as a guy who just was, he was baseball personified and he had four seasons where he was like the electric light of baseball and you just wanted to watch every start he made. He had four great seasons, which is about what Lincecum had, um, you know, and it's just, there is no room for uh, bursts of lightning like that in the Hall of Fame or, you know, there should be a separate, you know, Hall of Bursts of Lightning or something like that because you have these players who mean so much more than a career war or, you know, some sort of uh, let's honor how long they were in the game. And that's fine. They're just going to exist as, gosh, you should have been there. I was, let me tell you, it was special as heck. Yeah, you know, there's there's some, I think, guys who probably are a little shorter than they otherwise uh, would, would be, like Kirby Puckett comes to mind, Sandy mm-hmm. Koufax comes to mind, mm-hmm. uh, but then you have a Thurman Munson, you know, a guy who died in a plane crash and I think was on a Hall of Fame track, and maybe he will get in someday, and, and, and if he does get in on a committee, that'll even grease the skids a little more for a Buster Posey who's very similar to him. Um, but yeah, you know, there, there are... Uh, people who've had overwhelming peaks, I think, uh, who are in, but they've also been able to last a little bit longer uh, than a than a, a Lincecum or or have the number of peak seasons like a a Fernando. And and actually, you go you go back and look at Fernando, and you look at the fact that he came up as a 20 year old, and I think he threw nine uh, complete games after out of his first 10. And you wonder, gosh, you know, Tommy Lasorda just absolutely put his arm through a meat grinder. You wonder what kind of career he could have had. Uh, if maybe he'd been paced a little bit, but but then you know obviously uh, he did some pretty remarkable things. So it uh, looks like we have Daniel in the room. Uh, shall we go to Daniel? Let's go to Daniel M. Daniel, you are on with Bangs and Brisby. How are you doing? Daniel. I'm waiting for someone to drop a, a Baba Booey on us. <laughs> Daniel, you there? Well, I'm not sure Daniel's going to find us. No, that's all right. Let me think. Let me think of what Daniel might have asked us. We could go to Mickey. Mickey's in the room. Oh, hello. Oh, I just hit the X. Daniel, get back on the line, and and we'll. Oh no. We'll, we'll put you on. That was a great moment. In bad timing. All right. Let, let's go to Mickey. Mickey, you're on with Bags and Brisby in the Athletic Live Room. How are you doing? Oh man, I'm doing great. I feel bad for Daniel. I just just jumped on his spot there. Yeah, no, you we're... did. You did. Uh, Daniel <laughs> now has an arch nemesis. He will find you, but that's okay. I, it's a test of dedication. I, He'll be back. I am <laughs> terrified now. Uh, thanks, guys, for letting me on. I was just wondering um, how active, when this lockout inevitably ends, hopefully, um, how active are the Giants going to be in free agency? Like, are they going to make a play for that? Uh, the Japanese guy, I, I'm blanking on his name. Suzuki, right? Are they going yeah. to yeah. play for him? Or, you know, or how active are they going to? be with the remaining free agents i think they're going to be active and they're going to be active really really fast i mean it's uh you know i, I got the opportunity to talk to say suzuki it's the only interview he's given uh to an english reporter and uh basically he did like about 10 to 12 different zoom presentations with teams in the eight or ten days he had to negotiate before the lockout 
And, you know, he's probably got a pretty good idea of which teams would be his finalists. But, you know, it was pointed out to me by an official with Nippon Professional Baseball that, look, this guy's going to have to come to the U.S. He's going to have to get settled. He's got a lot of uh, climatization to do, get learn everybody's names, everything. And and normally that would be a, a huge process in a six week spring training. And now, you know, this is probably all going to be. Um, concentrated into maybe just a few weeks if, if spring if if the lockout lasts you know through you know the end of February and, and maybe even shorter than that so um, it, he's going to be under the gun a little bit a lot of stuff's going to happen really fast uh, for him to choose a team so he's going to have to pick a team pretty much right away uh, I that, think and 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 that's yeah. probably going to be fairly true maybe a little less so for the Chris Bryans of the world and, and the other free agents so um, I, I think that you're going to see a lot of movement from all over baseball uh, happened very, very rapidly uh, once the CBA gets settled, whenever that might be. Yeah. And then just real quick, one, one other thing is, is he like looking like, I know Shohei Otani when he was coming over, he looked at a lot of Pacific coast teams. Like he was looking at the Mariners giants and inevitably settled with the uh, Padre or the, not the Padre, the angels. Oh my goodness. Um, so is he doing kind of doing the same thing or is he, is he looking all over the place? Uh, he said that he really has no geographic preference. He's just looking for the best fit. I wouldn't be totally surprised if you would like to go to a ballpark that's probably a little more hitter friendly. That's just a hunch on, on my part. Um, there's been a lot of speculation that Boston might be on his short list, that the Rangers might be on his short list. Um, he's a huge Mike Trout fan. So I, I, I wonder if maybe uh, he might prefer being in the American League a little bit. Uh, the Mariners are, are certainly uh, all over him and, and, uh, uh, and, and have... Uh, <laughs> and they've employed Ichiro, who was uh, uh, Seiya Suzuki's uh, boyhood hero, as he was for a lot of young baseball players growing up in Japan uh, of his age. Uh, and this guy's 27. He's not being posted in, in his mid-30s. I mean, he's, yeah. he's really in his prime, and he's and a complete player, too. So some things you wonder how they're going to translate, but uh, a lot of the plate discipline, a lot of the other skills should translate very easily. And and I think that there's a lot of teams that are, are their interest is very, very high. And it sounds as if it's not going to be a highest bidder kind of thing. Uh, the, the offers are probably going to be pretty similar from clubs. And it's going to be very much in terms of what he feels is the best fit. So, um, yeah, I, and I think the Giants are going to be right in the middle of it. I would expect that they're probably going to be on a short list. Cool. Hopefully, hopefully they are. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you. Hey. Thanks, Biggie. Um, there was a report out of Nikon Sports, uh, and it was translated for me via Google. So apologies for the translation. It said, at the moment, Mariners, Cubs, Giants, and Padres are considered to be finalists. Uh, there is a view that teams uh, with spring training in Florida, like the Red Sox and Yankees, are uh, runners up or maybe not being as considered as strongly. So this is Nikon Sports, who is, uh, you know, that, that's a big name. It's not as if it's some, some blogger uh, who who covers the NPB. Um, so that's at least one positive report. Um, again, the, the rest of the article said the Giants won the district last season, and although the players are substantial, both the middle and left wing are insufficient in power. The acquisition of Suzuki, which has three beats, is the foundation of the ever-winning army. Do you the think... foundation of the ever-winning army. That's one of my favorite rock albums from the 1980s. <laughs> Do you think Suzuki, which has three beats, is the foundation of the ever-winning army? Um, yes. Uh, you know what this reminds me of? is I, I use this app called Otter, uh, which is not to be confused with your nickname. Um, <laughs> and, and it's a trans, tra, trans, transcription app 
And so uh, basically when you're recording someone, it'll transcribe it at the same time. And it's a little glitchy. You know, you have to listen to it and make sure that, uh, you know, it gets everything right. Uh, but when you're interviewing someone who speaks Spanish and it tries to figure out what they're saying in English, it is just a mad libs word salad. And I, I'm telling you, it's hilarious. It is it, it it brought me much joy in like, you know, 2020 doing Zoom interviews uh, where we were otherwise all miserable. And that was one thing that was like a little bright po point of my day is what is Otter going to do to transcribe this Spanish into English? So that was that was that was delightful. You would share a couple of those with me and they were absolutely delightful. Um, yeah. So just there is one report coming out of Japan that eh, kind of good news. So we'll go with that. Um, yeah. But we have Daniel M. He is back. Thank you for Daniel M, how are you doing today? I am great. I apologize before I was taking a work call, so that's my bad. <laughs> <laughs> no worries, no worries. Just tell just tell the account, just say, hey, hold on, I've got Bags and Brisby on the other line. I value your business, but go away. Never I, apologize for making that paper, Daniel. <laughs> I, I tried to get off the phone as soon as I can, and it didn't work out. So um, my, my question, though, um, do you guys think if at some point in the last five years, maybe even in bags and in that interview you did with them a couple years ago, if Bonds admitted to what he did and showed some remorse uh, publicly, would that have changed uh, his vote total? No, mm. I don't think so, because Mark McGuire basically did that and it didn't really help him at all. Uh, you know, in fact, it made it easier for people to, I think, uh, dismiss him. And uh, and maybe that'll change. Maybe he'll get in on a veterans committee vote someday. Maybe maybe, uh, you know, the, the players on these veteran committees uh, will change. And one day you'll look up and, and Pudge Rodriguez and Mike Piazza and David Ortiz are on that committee. Right. Hey. Um, so, you know, it's it, honestly, I, I think Barry Bonds will get in the Hall of Fame. I don't know if he'll be alive when that happens. <laughs> but um, but yeah, you know, it's it's you look at the composition of of the hall and, and I think that's changing just like the electorate has changed. But I don't think I don't think uh, any admissions would really help him. And I'll say this. I will say this for Barry. Some people believe that he's being stubborn or, you know, why doesn't he just admit it? There's so much evidence out there. If you were putting yourself in his shoes and you were absolutely selectively prosecuted by the federal government who couldn't stick a charge on you and then finally got you for obstruction, which eventually was thrown out, and you, you feel like you've been targeted, uh, you know, not necessarily uh, in the interest of justice targeted, but, but really made, tried to make, be made an example of, would you want to come out and admit to anything? I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to say anything. Uh, you know, so... You know, I, I don't blame him for feeling like he's uh, he's got a scope on him. And, um, you know, I, I don't think he's ever going to uh, admit uh, that he knowingly used steroids. He came very close one time. One time I was sitting there in the clubhouse at Old Scottsdale Stadium, and it was myself and, and the late Pedro Gomez uh, and, and a bunch of Bonds' entourage there. And he was talking about, you know, hey, we're entertainers. Let us entertain you. Let, let us be in a position where we can put our the best show on for you. And if, if you have, uh, you know, if, if your eyesight is going and things are looking a little fuzzy, what do you do? You get eyeglasses. Is that cheating? Is that enhancing your performance? You tell me. Now, you can poke all kinds of gigantic truck-sized holes through those analogies, but he's basically saying, look, fine, I used, who cares? I was out there trying to perform for you. Um, you know, plus he ever will think bags is to, to admitting that he, he – uh, you know, he used some PEDs. All right. Appreciate it, guys. Hey, thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel.
Yeah, you know, one of the things, the context often gets lost with bonds, and it's a point that I've hammered home uh, as much as I can. I wrote you know, five, 6,000 words on it once, is that, you know, people like to think back to 1998 and think of McGuire and Sosa and think of the conversations that writers and fans were having back then as if it was, you know, these guys are outstanding. I sure hope they aren't on steroids or these guys are doing what they're doing. But uh, boy, I hope there aren't any surprises because we all know that that's wrong. It just wasn't that kind of conversation. Everyone sort of knew. And we're talking, you know, at the Bash Brothers uh, going forward that there probably was steroids going on. You know, maybe there's some wink, wink stuff um, when you had the reporter find the bottle of andro just visible in mcguire's locker the most common reaction the spiciest take from writers was how dare you write about that that is his nutritional supplement like it's none of our business that's just not a part of you know what we write about and so that was the conversation back then and you had mcguire and sosa as just these idols and heroes and they save baseball and they are you know times man of the year is mark mcguire and you you have that and you have bonds looking from the outside going yeah but all right tell you what let me try this and let me see if i'm better than them and it's totally understandable and was it right does that make it ethical i don't i don't think so but at the same time that's the context and to make him a retroactive villain i think is just it's a little bit of gaslighting i think that it's an institutional failure that's the way that i see it I think that it's a it's a mess. The fact that the record book got uh, corrupted, if you think if you see it as corrupted, uh, I think that's on the league. I think that's on Bud Selig. I think that's on the union for not being uh, more willing to collectively bargain steroid testing because it was a health and safety issue that a lot of guys were feeling like they had to make that choice to take steroids to keep their place in the big leagues. And I, I find that much more nefarious is the FP mm-hmm. Santangelo's of the world who kept the 25th spot on the roster because they juiced and a guy who didn't juice was out of the big leagues. You know, that that to me is, is even worse uh, than, um, you know, the superstars who became mega, mega superstars. Uh, and, and, you know, took a, an axe to the record books, uh, even though it's not as visible. Uh, I find that a bigger fairness issue. Uh, but you're right. It was institutional. It was everywhere. The league looked the other way. They allowed it to happen. Chicks dig the long ball. And I will say this for the media. The me- was the media complicit? I don't know if the media was complicit because that would that would imply that the media absolutely 100 percent knew what was going on. We all had our suspicions, but I can tell you how much things have changed. In 1998, I was just out of college. Uh, I was 22 years old. You know, I'm not going to go around asking people in the clubhouse, hey, you know, have you ever taken steroids or or, or I, I wasn't in a position to to ask questions like that or write about that. And I think most of us who were access journalists who, who, you know, have to be in the clubhouse and have to ask those questions, you know, it, it would be career suicide for you to start asking those questions back then. Uh, I, I know from the Melky Cabrera thing, just what the fallout was. And I was right, you know, uh, to ask him about a, a positive uh, drug test. So, you know, I understand what, what the consequences were. And at that time, you know what? I mean, I'm an access journalist. You're for the most part, not an access journalist back then. There were a lot of me's. There were none of you's. We were all the journalists who were writing about baseball were access journalists. You know, there weren't fan graphs. There weren't a whole bunch of, of, of blogs. There wasn't a whole lot of, um, you know, people self-publishing on the Internet. I mean, it was all of us who were writing about baseball 
relied on access. And that access was absolutely something that would have been taken away if if we had, you know, been a little more, um, I guess, uh, uh, you know, a little more aggressive in reporting about stories. And, and some people did bring it up. Um, you know, Tom Boswell of the Washington Post mentioned something about Conseco and steroids uh, and that, you know, people were yelling at Adam in the, in the, from the outfield in, in Fenway Park. Uh, you're right. More needed to be done from the people who had the big power, I think, in the media at that time uh, to, you know, investigate that. Um, I, I look back and I, I wish that there's something I could have done differently. I know 22, 23-year-old me, there's nothing I could have done. I would have just ruined my career and that would have been it. And so, you know, it's 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 just an unfortunate time to put everybody in a bad position. And it still is putting people in a bad position to have to decide who's a Hall of Famer, who's not, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know what? But that's that's the world we live in. I think I think more important is that no one is really asking for that. You know, everyone was just sort of like, this is the product. And I got to tell you, it's fantastic. And there wasn't a market for like that hard hitting, like, well, here's the expose. Ta-da, like, you know, everything you see is a lie. It's just everyone liked the dingers and it was a national conversation. And that's the context. And I wish people would remember that more. It just wasn't it wasn't like it, people are imagining in it today. It's not like people were like, oh, I have evidence of this and people are telling me this. I'm just not going to report it. I'm going to keep it under my hat. That's that's right. not what happened. That's not right. what happened. But hey, we've got three people in the queue. Uh, shall we start with Juan? Juan's in the queue. Let's go to uh, how are you? Juan? I, hey, guys. Uh, it's first time caller, long time listener. Can't believe I got through. Um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a super fan of this format. Um, that I know there's like a Spotify green room and, and there's a podcast I listen to there. And I think this is an awesome idea. I hope you guys do more of this. We probably um, will. Yeah. My comment on, on a, the hall of fame stuff that really bugs me is La Ru- people like Larusa and Selig, you know, getting in when they, you know, Larusa's three home run uh, world. I mean, three world series titles. I mean, a lot of that, some of that comes on the backs of guys who, we're using performing and performance enhancing drugs, right? Selig in the Hall of Fame, his whole, you know, uh, career can be looked through at the lens of like, hey, he allowed this to happen. So, you know, there's there's people that are kind of benefiting ancillarily from this this uh, period of time, and 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 they're not looked with at with the same scrutiny as the people who are actually performing. You know, the players, and so. It's just, it's, I think it's crazy. And, uh, I wanted to hear your comments on that and I'll take my answer off the air. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yeah, it is. Uh, I think that that's a good point. I think with Bud Saley, he really did benefit a lot. I mean, the narrative was that McGuire and Sosa saved baseball. I think that's overwrought in some ways. I think baseball would still be going on today, but Boy, did it provide a boost immediately after the strike that was just, you know, mana from heaven. So I think he benefited tremendously from that. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, bef- before we had McGuire and Sosa, we did have Cal Ripken. And people said that he, he saved baseball before when he broke uh, the streak. And as much as that was celebrated uh, when he passed uh, Lou Gehrig. Uh, but, but, yeah, in terms of captivating the national consciousness I don't think anything had done that in baseball in a long, long time. And I'm not sure anything has really captivated the national consciousness uh, uh, from the baseball world since then, to be honest. No. Uh, probably nothing has come come close to that. I mean, you had people, you know, you were cutting into uh, to 
to TV shows and newscasts with with news bulletins. Anytime uh, McGuire or, or or Sosa hit a homer, so um, yeah, there's there's no question. I mean, that what was that worth to baseball? My gosh, could you imagine if they could get, get something else that was similar to that? If someone, you know, I don't know, was threatening Dimaggio's streak or something like that, it would that that would be worth millions and millions and millions of dollars uh, to, to the game to, to, as they're trying to become more relevant in today's world. So, yeah, I, I agree. Again, it was an institutional failure, and it benefited people within that institution and not just the people who were hitting the home runs. All right, let's go to Josh. This is our last question of the day. It's coming from Josh Z. Josh, you were on with Bags and Brisby in the Athletic Live Room. How are you doing? Papa Bui. <laughs> Maybe Josh take a, took a work call. Josh, are you there? All right. I think that is going to be the but perfect got, wait. Oh, we've got Josh. Mike D. Mike D's got something to say. Oh, Mike D. All right. Let's go to Michael D. Michael D, you are on with the Bags and Brisby live room. How are you doing today? This is an auspicious end to what has been a positive experience. Yeah. Shall we try? I, I guess you have to unmute yourself, apparently. Yeah, the, there is a mute button, I think. So let's try that. If not, I think we have one time for one more, and that's going to be... Robert B. Hey guys. Rob, Robert B. You better not be my dad. How are you? Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. Please, please don't refer to me like that. So, <laughs> in listening to an episode of some Fangraphs audio, Jay Jaffe brought up the point of the character clause and how often writers now are invoking that to move past Clemens and Bonds. Um, it would seem, though, that those players are still in pretty good standing with the league as a whole. Both are employed by teams, either as counselors or advisors. So using that as a, a barring, you shall not pass, just because you are uh, maybe in the past had these issues but are still uh, in good standing. Can you guys comment on that? Yeah, it is. The character clause is fascinating uh, because it is just so arbitrary. And boy, that barn door has been open for a long time, whether it's Cap Anson or just, you know, just nasty, nasty players from history who uh, just maybe would not get in based on a character clause uh, to, by today's standards. I don't know. I just like what if let's just for an example, what if Mike Piazza writes a memoir tomorrow and in it he says, yeah, I did steroids. Murray Chass had me figured out my act. My back was filled with acne. You got me. Here's how I did them. Here's my schedule. Here's how I procured them. Uh, here's when I started, where I ended. Would he get kicked out of the Hall of Fame? Like, of course not. Like, he's in. He's he's in because he hit and is one of the best hitting catchers of all time, uh, the best hitting catcher of all time. I think there's just so many ways that the players have already alluded that character clause. Uh, just I'm not I'm not putting too much stock in it. Uh, I'm not going to use it selectively either. Roberto Alomar is on the ineligible list. Literally the ineligible list. Now he had to. Uh, uh, resign his job with the uh, Toronto Blue Jays as an advisor uh, because of um, 
the sexual harassment uh, allegations against him that the league uh, investigated and found uh, to to have um, some basis of truth. So, but they're not going to take his plaque down. I don't think he's going to serve on a committee again like he did uh, in 2018. Um, you know, he's probably pretty much ostracized at this point, but they're not going to take the plaque down. Um, I, I do think that as I, I've looked at it as a voter is uh, I give extra credit. If you're someone who uh, was a high character individual who I believe you know really represents the best of, of the ideals of the game, uh, it, it amplifies your candidacy. I don't necessarily take away uh, if, if the reverse is true. Um, although there are a lot of people who didn't vote for Kurt Schilling because they just they couldn't the, the, the all the hate speech and the misinformation and and the you know Infowars crap that he believes in is uh, and has broadcast is is just uh, was rep- too reprehensible uh, for them to to check his name and um, probably a lot of people were relieved when he said don't vote for me <laughs> and I think a lot of people were only too quick to agree with that. Um, I, you know, the character clause does open up a whole lot of subjectivity uh, to, hey, I like this guy. I want to put him in. Um, but, you know, again, I don't think subjectivity is that bad. I think that this is a subjective exercise to some degree. We're talking about fame. You know, we're not talking yeah. about war. We're not talking about something that's that's absolutely measurable. There are so many great ways that we can challenge our perceptions of how valuable a player was or how important a player was. I think it's awesome that, that uh, Tim Raines uh, got his day in the sun. Uh, I think that uh, in, in the past without those numbers that wouldn't have illuminated just how, how great a player he was, he might not have gotten in, but you know, I, I, I do think that some subjectivity in the process is, is healthy and uh, I don't make apologies for having that in there. And, and the character clause is obviously probably the most subjective part of, of that exercise. So, um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's something that I'm sure we'll continue to, we'll continue to talk about and debate because, you know, those standards uh, that are on the ballot, every ballot that's ever been mailed out, they haven't changed since the 1930s. And I don't think they're going to. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. And I think, that is a good way to end it. I think this is the end of the live room experiment. I had fun. Did you have fun, Bags? Yeah, this is not bad. Do you want to stick with Otter, or are we going to have to come up with something better for you? You know, I'm going to get a list going of the possible animals I could be. Otter does have a ring to it, but it makes me think of Animal House, so it's like Bags and the Wombat coming at you live on Drive Time Radio. <laughs> so I got I have to get a list. Like I've, I've when I'm thinking about it, like Capybara is too many syllables. It's got to be it's Bags and the Muskox, you know. So um. <laughs> I will get a list going and next time I will unveil uh, my permanent nickname. But thanks everyone for listening. Thanks everyone who, who uh, took the time to ask us a question. Uh, a lot of fun. It's, it's a good way to kind of break up uh, the format of bags and Brisby, which I, you know, I honestly is a perfect podcast, but a little variety uh, <laughs> never hurts anyone. Yeah, no, it's definitely fun to do. I, I really didn't have anything planned for today, so this was uh, this was All fun. right. Well, thanks for listening. Thanks for commenting, and we will do this again. And if you want to catch up with this, it's going to be a part of the regular podcast feed, so it'll be hosted on the site. It'll be on Spotify, Apple, all that stuff. So share widely with friends and family. Thanks so much for listening and for coming in. Thanks.